Greetings, everyone. Welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to start off in John chapter number 6 and verse 43. And we're going to work our way all the way down through Jesus' instruction here, uh, as far down as we can get, but starting off at verse number 59 to complete our first section. So let's get to prayer and get to the Word. Father, we are grateful for everything you have done for us this day. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to once more connect with you, connect with your word in this day, and really feast upon its riches. We thank you that, Father, you drew us to Jesus. We're grateful, and we'll discover that from Jesus' own teachings today, that we may be able to rejoice as the children in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, so we start off with our reading. We're going to read from verse number 43, clear down to verse number 59 as we start. And the scripture says this, where we left off yesterday. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that has heard and has learned of the Father comes to me. Not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God, he has seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove or fought among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eats me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eats of this bread shall live forever. These things said Jesus in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. <laughs> Praise the Lord, eat Jesus. <laughs> oh, mercy. And this is actually a, a position of con contestation or a, a position that is argued over and fought against. Uh, the very reason of the Eucharist, the very reason of, of why uh, transubstantiation within the Catholic Church exists, where they take the bread, the wafer, and they, they have a prayer over it so as to trans 
transform it from just an ordinary piece of bread to the literal body of Jesus. And, and the reason why the prayer is, or as it would be an incantation even, would be said over the, the cup of, of wine would, would be a transformation from just ordinary wine unto the blood, the literal blood of Christ, is because of this section of Scripture right here. No other reason can I find throughout anywhere else in the Bible for the purpose of the Eucharist and the idea of transubstantiation as if it would happen through an incantation of a prayer as it was. But nevertheless, nowhere else in the Bible does this concept exist except for right here. And I do believe that from their doctrine, this is exactly where they draw from for Jesus' It is either uh, literally telling these people to eat him, which ultimately would be against over half of the law, the Torah, or Jesus is making a reference between something physical and something spiritual, which obviously I would believe would be the case. But nevertheless, the, the places like the Catholic Church have taken this, what Jesus is teaching right here, into the most literal sense. And so, for every service, they eat Jesus and they drink his blood. Like, in every heart that's partaking of the Eucharist, this is really what's in their mind to, to consume. And, and this is the teaching why. So let's kind of back up a little bit. First off, keep in mind where this is happening. This is happening in the synagogue in Capernaum. Now, in the synagogue, you are going to have some regular chaps. There's going to be several regular chaps that are sitting in there. And of course, there's going to be some synagogue students, which would be a lot like seminary students that would be in there as well. Then you're going to have your your rabbi class, and then you're going to have your teaching elders that are going to be the ones teaching. Well, Jesus would be among one of the teaching elders here at Capernaum uh, giving this instruction. Needless to say, as you have come all the way through John chapter 6 so far, you've seen that it was the Jews that he was speaking to. This is the group that he's been dealing with alongside of those who had come from Tiberias over because he fed he fed them. So this particular synagogue at Capernaum has exploded. It, it's got uh, quite a lot of, of people packed into it around Jesus and, and hearing this teaching. Now, one of the central points of contention that Jesus is having to deal with was that which was raised what, last Friday that was concerning the manna because he blessed those loaves of bread and and those fish and they were passed out among the 5,000 and so much that they were able to eat until they were satisfied then they find him over at Capernaum the first thing they said is our for, our forefathers ate manna in the wilderness do that bring another miracle well Jesus is working off of that same concept of of the manna again in this section of scripture. Now we look back up to verse number 44. This is where we're going to start. <clears throat> you have often heard me lately saying that salvation comes not because 
I decided what I was going to do about Jesus, but salvation comes because God the Father drew you to the Word of God. The, the Father drew you ultimately to Christ to bring you to a knowledge of, of Jesus under repentance. And it's a work of the Father through the Holy Spirit that is that, that one that, that is drawn you to Christ. And of course, upon repentance and confession, He's the one that seals you unto salvation to be a son or daughter of, of God. Well, Jesus himself, by the way, and I, I talk about being drawn by the Father quite a bit uh, here lately as we're in this gospel, but but just so you know, this isn't something that Jason came up with, and this isn't something that the Reformed ideology uh, coined the phrase of or the, the Reformed ideology brought to light. This isn't the case at all. Verse number 44 is coming out of Jesus' own mouth. He says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. Ah, That's very important because this isn't even a decision on your part at this point. This is a work of the Father that's happening inside of you to, to bring you to Christ. It's, it's not you deciding if you're going to come to Christ or not. This is this actually has absolutely nothing to do with you outside of you being present at the time that the word of God is is being shared. And so this is why we, instead of trying to focus on the manipulation tactics of of trying to get a person to to get saved but like many churches with their with their entertainment based gospels and with you know a lot of these guys I dog on them pretty hard, and and fair enough. They should be smarter than this. I, I do dog on them, but their intention, their goal, I I kind of believe some of them I don't, but their goal may be honorable in what they're trying to do because they understand the eternity of being separated from God, at least in some kind of fashion, and and they don't want the the world to have to face that. The problem is, is that they think they're the ones that have to be the the persuading force to be able to get people to make that decision for Christ when they're powerless to that. And they were powerless to that on their own selves, and they're powerless to to forcing or coercing or or as it was the fine line between persuasion and co co uh, coercion you will find that that it is given to us to present the gospel to share the truth to make known the reality of Christ the father will do everything else through the holy spirit in the conviction of the hearing of god's word for we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god and so the holy spirit is going to do the rest of the labor that the father desires for every soul that he has chosen to draw unto himself through christ and thus it is given to us to simply share the gospel not to alter it not to make it more palatable or to change it in any way but to make known the reality of its truth and the simplicity of that which is written that the holy spirit would have that to be able to work upon the hearts and lives of those to whom we speak with pretty simple at that point this, this takes evangelism away from being something so frightening because we feel like every soul that we come into contact with has to be a soul that we win. 
to understanding that it is God's will and God's time and God's authority through the Holy Spirit that will draw this person to Christ or that they they will ultimately pass you by as though you never said anything or existed. But that is to God's will and discretion that has nothing to do with you. So the joy of being able to get out there and just simply share the gospel with as many people as as is possible without any worry about what they do on their end as understanding that it will be God that works in them to will or to do. So that's that's a treasure all by itself. But I bring us back to the point here in verse number 44 is Jesus clearly says, which is why I clearly say as well, that no man can come to Jesus except the Father which has sent Jesus, so we know who we're talking about, that's God, except the Father has, who has sent me draws him. And those who have been drawn to Christ and have received of the gift of eternal life through Jesus, unto salvation granted by the Father, sealed by the Spirit, Jesus said, I will raise him up at the last day. That's just a done deal. And that's going to happen. So that, that's just, there's no greater a joy than the reality of eternal security. Of knowing that, that you belong to Jesus. Now, there are a lot of people who have made a decision for Christ that are that are uncertain about their salvation. They they, they at points feel saved and then sometimes they don't feel saved. They feel like a believer. Sometimes they don't feel. They feel like going to church. Sometimes they don't. Get saved. You haven't yet. That this isn't a decision, so to speak, as as it would be. Well, maybe I'll try this Jesus thing out and see how that works out. Maybe maybe I'll give this church thing a go because everything else has faltered and. So maybe it'll work out. Well, it, it's none of the above. This is not how, how the faith works. It's not salvation at that point. Those who have been drawn to Christ by the Father and have been convicted of the Spirit and have cried out unto the, the mercy of God through His grace have been sealed unto the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit and are truly born again. There's no question. It is known in the soul. It is known in the spirit that you are saved, and you you are secure. You you just you know, just like he said in First John chapter number five and verse number thirteen, he said he said these things are written that you may believe on the Son of God and that you may know that you are saved, that you have salvation, that you 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 may know, and that's that's the key. The, the, the concept of eternal security is because Jesus said, I will not cast any out. I will not lose one. I will raise them up at the last day. Th- these are just guarantees. And, and there's nothing more comforting than that. So if, if you're in a, a church, a conditional church where uh, you're never fully certain as to if you have salvation. You, you can never fully be 
certain that you're saved because you're constantly being bombarded by the ideas that that it's what you do that keeps you saved. It's it's who you are that keeps you saved. It's it's if you do this, if you do that, if you're doing this, if you're doing that. Now, the funny thing about those that believe that you can lose your salvation is all of the people that believe that a person can lose their salvation have never lost their salvation. <laughs> they they look at other people and judge other people as to the possibility that they've lost their salvation. And there's a great deal of murmuring that might be happening within the crowd because you saw them coming out of the bar on Saturday night. And there they are just praising the Lord, hands up, raised in the song service, praising God on Sunday morning. And you are uh, probably thinking that they've lost their salvation. Of course, the pride of what you're judging other people would probably be sufficient for you to lose your own salvation, but that would never happen because you are a good child of God. It's everybody else that isn't a good child of God who could lose their salvation. And so you come across this idea where, where you live in a constant state of fear, which the scriptures say that, that God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. He's given us power, love, and a sound mind is revealed in 2 Timothy 1, 7. So, but you still, you're gripped by this fear that it's a possibility that you could lose your salvation, which means that Jesus wouldn't be able to raise you up the last day because he would have, have uh, lost you, that he would have, have ultimately cast you out. Because you see, it would be entirely impossible for you to be able to cast yourself out of the power of God. And Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe, right? So if you come to a position where you now don't believe, you would still be powerless to try and cast yourself out of the, of the, the hand of Christ or out of uh, the presence of Christ because he's the one that secured you. So the very idea of being able to lose salvation is, is just trampled by these these statements that Jesus himself, which I praise the Lord, is written and read in, in, in the Bible and not just uh, commentary by somebody who's written in, in the black ink. But the red ink, if you have a red letter edition, the red ink is the one that's saying this is exactly what Jesus said, word for word. So it's Jesus that said that he that the Father draws you unto salvation. And it's Jesus that said that he would not lose anyone that is drawn to him. It's Jesus that reveals eternal security. And it's Jesus that reveals the, the nature of, of being drawn by the Father unto what would be considered even an election are those that are chosen as the Father chooses them. So it, it, it's really just Jesus that you have to argue with <laughs> at this point. But it's also very exciting for those of us who truly are born again. You might be arguing at the screen right now. You might be farting and fussing because... Uh, the, the particular denomination line that, that you may be following, you might even have turned it off by this point. I don't know if you're still with me. Hang on. Uh, but but because this is not what we teach, or you're, you're just a Baptist, <laughs> well, then that means Jesus was a Baptist because this is what Jesus said according to the Scripture. This isn't what Jason said. So it's very important to to really 
just center our thoughts on what the Word of God is saying to us because I'm just simply word for word reading what Jesus taught, what Jesus said. And Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, moving past that, praise the Lord. It goes to 45, and Jesus carries on. He says, it is written in the prophets. Now, that gets really exciting because now we're, we're calling upon the prophets. He said, it is written in the prophets, and they shall, they shall all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that has heard and has learned of the Father comes to me. Oh, what a treasure. Let's take a look. It is written, oh, let's say, oh, Isaiah chapter number 2 and verse number 3, the scripture says, And many people shall go and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Uh, that would fix the problem with the lady at the, the well there in John chapter 4 as well, wouldn't it? <laughs> now, in Isaiah chapter number 54 and verse number 13, the scripture says, And all your children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. Jeremiah chapter number 31 says, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin." No more a precious promise given to us by God as it comes, the covenant that is made, that he puts the law in our hearts and in our inward parts to be our God, which is what he did, by the way, in sealing us with the Holy Spirit back in Acts chapter 2 and what's been happening ever since unto this very day. We're sharing this together. And it comes down to Micah. Remember, Jesus said in the prophets, as in plural, as in a multitude of different prophets. And in Micah, chapter number four and verse number two, the scripture says, Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways. And he will wa we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth out of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So we have Isaiah, we have Jeremiah, we have Micah that are presenting this reality to us. And so, as it was written in the prophets, that they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that has heard and has learned of the Father comes to me. Now, that's interesting because when we find Nicodemus in chapter number three, as as one who is learned as one who has studied the Torah and who knows the law of God that indeed did come to Jesus. We find that of Joseph of Arimathea. We find that of, of a multitude of people who have known the word of God and have learned of the Father and that they have received Jesus. 
which ought to testify to you that the majority of the religious leaders of the the Jews, as well as I believe today, really don't know the Father. For had they known the Father, they would have readily accepted Jesus as their Messiah. But not having known the Father, not having learned what the Word of God was was teaching them of the Messiah who is to come, not knowing the Father keeps them from being able to receive the Son. And so Jesus says, a little bit further down, verse number 46, he said, Not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God. And the word of there is really exciting because when you get into the Greek, that it seems to be a very, very small you know, piece of the word of. But that word of can also mean from. And so the reality that, that no one has ever seen the Father except for that the person who was from God. And, or this word of also is in connotation of being of the same substance with. And so when he said, save he which is of God, it, it's also referring to the fact that being from God, like the only begotten, is that he is of the same exact substance as the Father. This is where you have that, that concept of Trinity that exists. Again, the triune God is that Jesus is, is, is of the same exact substance of the Father in his being. And so uh, this is the, the awesome part here is that he says that no man has seen the Father. Well, you go all the way back to Adam and the reality that God walked with Adam in the garden every day, but that doesn't mean that Adam can make out the figure of who the Father was as he walked with him. For God is a spirit, and we know that he is light. And so is either a great big light bulb that walked with Adam every day, uh, not to be too satirical, but the point, uh, uh, just an immense light that dwelt with Adam that he could see the light of God and not be consumed by it because of the sinlessness of his estate before his fall, or Adam walked with Jesus in the garden, for Jesus is the bodily representation of a father. So Adam walked with Jesus in the garden, and, and Abraham talked with Jesus at the, at the deliverance of Lot and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and uh, Joshua spoke with Jesus as the captain of the host of the Lord's army before they walked around Jericho at that time. There's so many places throughout Scripture that we find that the, the interactions with people and directly with God but we know that, that even Jesus is saying, no man has seen God, the Father. So who wrestled with Jacob? And, 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 and all of these, these physical interactions that would happen as people would call this, this, this person Lord in, in the reference of the yod heh vav -Hey, and people would acknowledge that they've seen God when Jesus has, has told us that no one has, has seen the Father. So the reality is, is that they all met Jesus before his birth into the world. They all met Jesus. Now, at the time that Jesus came and was born and lived his life, there was no connectional interaction with, with anyone seeing even a vision of God. And this is because he's already there.
So all throughout the Old Testament, you have these these visions and you have these interactions that would happen with these different people. But when you get to the New Testament, all of that stops. And Jesus is here. Just thought that was awesome. And then he, he, you look at verse number 47 and Jesus said, Verily, I mean, when you see him saying, Verily, verily, he's, he's, he's saying of a certainty, I'm telling you this. is This is like one of those times where you're standing in court and before you take your testimony on the stand, they're holding a Bible in front of you and telling you to put your hand on it and to swear an oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you God. This is that scenario where the verily, verily comes as Jesus saying, look, I'm telling you an absolute truth here. This is of a certainty. You you could put your money on this. (laughs) Take it to the bank. And so verse number 47, he says, I say to you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. Well, of course, multitudes are going to have a problem with this. Just don't understand what, what Jesus is talking about. I believe on you. and You're saying that you're exactly the same as the Father and I believe on you. Well, anybody that's having a hard time with that, anybody that's having a hard time with the teaching that has happened thus far has yet to be drawn to the Father. For had you been drawn to the Father, this would readily cause rejoicing in your soul as being saved. And so if you're if you're having a difficult time with this today and you, you've claimed to be a Christian all your life and you're, you, you know, these are just parts of the Bible that you pass over because they're difficult and you just don't understand them and you, it bothers you. There's something about this that that irritates your soul, and so you just don't want to talk about it, you want to pass by it, maybe you need to just stop because this is the place where, where like Jesus would tell the Jews earlier uh, in chapter 5, he said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. Maybe... You believe that that uh, agreeing with those scriptures and praying that prayer after that person and being told all your life that you you have become a child of God and and you're saved and every time you've had consideration of doubt about that and you've talked to somebody said so, well you prayed that prayer right well you you agreed with the scripture, right? Well, of course you're saved. And all of that still, you have this aching place inside of you saying, man, I just don't know if it's really happened. Let me tell you, it didn't. Just praying a prayer after somebody and, and agreeing with four or five sections of scripture, it, that's not it. Remember, Jesus said that it is the Father who draws you. And the truth is, if you're having all of these doubts, if you're having all of this kind of uh, concern and, and, and thinking about it so much, it's because God is drawing you. That is the, the, the Holy Spirit pulling you to Christ. He's, he's, he's drawing you in, in, in a desire and all of that that consideration. And you're wondering, it's just things aren't right. And you're just... You're just not certain. Praise God, it's time to get real with the Father and get just repent right now. You, you can do it right now. There's no magic potion. I'm not going to lead you through a prayer. You know what you need to confess to God. You know what you need to to do. You know it's it's being drawn out of you by the Holy Spirit who's pulling you to Christ. Surrender and receive him. Get saved. You could do that. 
Because the Father has drawn you. And he comes down, he says, He that believes on me has everlasting life. Now comes the exciting part. This is where you, you get messed up if you get literal, honestly speaking. Uh, and, and like I said about transubstanti- transubstantiation and the idea of the Eucharist, this is exactly where it exists. I mean, this would be a place where they would take you to and they would say, See, Jesus said to eat him. And Jesus said to drink his blood, so we must do that. Okay, let's look. <clears throat> because that means that Jesus violated the law back at the Torah and, and has become unclean and is defiled, and everybody that has come to him is defiled. And so I really doubt that this was literal. So let's take a look at it. Jesus said, I am that bread of life. Oh, praise the Lord. And dealing with manna now, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness. Jesus' connection to this thing that they had spoken about all the way back up in the first 15 verses is the manna in the wilderness. Jesus said, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. Now, this is that physical, this is that material bread that was brought into their camp that every day they would collect either be able to make their bread as it would be like the dew and so it would be a a a layer on the ground of of flour as it was that they would gather together to be able to make their cakes and make their bread or some people believe that it was that way or that it was uh literal flakes or cakes that were were delivered from heaven and that people could readily collect it and be able to have the bread for their day and then of course on friday they would have a double portion that would be given to them for they were not to be a, to bake anything or to make anything on the Sabbath day, which would be Friday evening at, at sundown all the way over to Saturday evening at sundown. So you got this scenario where they have a physical and a material need that was provided for by the Father so that they did not starve to death in the wilderness, this manna. Now, Jesus is saying that he is the spiritual manna. He is that spiritual bread so that we do not starve to death and being separated from God for an eternity, but that we can be satisfied to the nature of our heart and that longing that that has existed in us from the time that we gave our first cry as recognizing that we have always had a place in our heart that was empty, that we've been trying in all manner of ways to be able to fill it. We, we, we've not liked being lonely. We've, we've been in crowds of people and still felt lonely. And that loneliness is that, that position inside of our spirit or as it was our soul that has been separated from God, as being created in His image and after His likeness and as being separated because of sin, yet the Father having desire for us to be drawn unto Him and, and be brought in through Christ unto salvation, we, we've been going through this life with this nagging feeling where lose words with something's not right, something's left out, we're, we're missing something, and the whole time it's been that connection. And so no matter what we've tried to satisfy that nagging feeling inside of us with, we've tried boats, we've tried cars, we've tried 
uh, jobs and more money. We've tried vacations. We've tried relationships. We've tried all kinds of different things, but uh, three divorces later and, and five girlfriends later and, and debt up to our eyeballs with vehicles we can barely afford to put gas in and houses and boats and lands and all of these other things that have not satisfied that, that, that struggle of our soul, but actually then has increased our problems, not, not blessed them because now we have all of these other things to contend with that blind us even farther from being able to see the gospel because our heart is so full of all kinds of chaos at this point, Satan laughing because he now has the upper hand on that life, yet still there is hope that the Father could draw you. And I hope that through this, maybe maybe the, the, the description I just gave is somebody that you know. Hey, go to him and tell him, just stop, just stop. Just listen. Let the Father draw you to himself through Jesus. Use these scriptures in John 6. Let the Father draw you. Or perhaps it's you that's watching this right now that needs to just stop. Just stop. Driving down the road, got me on a podcast driving down the road because you got you got just so much to do but man i think i'll take a listen to this pull over (laughs) pull over and just stop stop right now and and be attentive to the father drawing you let him have you and what things he could do through you i'm just saying and Jesus talking about that which is physical, which the people had on the brain. And now he's going to switch it over to that which is spiritual. How do I know? Because he begins to talk about heaven. He says in verse number 50, This, as in I am the bread of life that gives everlasting life to anyone who believes in me, this is the bread which comes down from heaven. The spiritual connection here. Just as the conversation with the woman of the well is the fact that he he had a, a well of water that would spring up unto everlasting life for the person that would believe in him. And the woman missed the point as to say the well's deep and you have nothing to draw the water with, so how are you going to give this water? But then Jesus really breaks through that mold by explaining to her that you're going to draw from this well and be back in a couple of hours. But if you draw out of me, you will have eternal satisfaction. Well, again, these guys, while she was with water, these guys are with bread. And the same holds true that Jesus says, okay, this is the bread which comes down from heaven. Well, he utilizes the point of the manna and he utilizes himself as the point of the bread because that was what the the subject was all about. With the woman at, at the well, he said, give me a drink. Then it was all about water. So why we would take this and not utilize the same principles of John chapter 4 to John chapter 6, I don't know. But a lot of people, when they get to John chapter 6, want to convert this into something that is literal when Jesus is teaching a literal spiritual truth about who he is as Savior and Messiah. Just saying, 
And so that we still do keep communion today, but that communion doesn't provide us with a merit of grace, as would be taught in many sacramental, or, or what is called sacerdotal, which, which simply means churches that hold sacraments. And, and the word sacrament simply means a work that merits grace. That's as simple as it gets. Well, the communion that was provided by Jesus at the last Seder meal of the Pesach was never meant to be a means of provision for grace. What it was was to remember the sacrifice that Jesus was about to offer himself for mankind to become. So when we talk about this bread, it isn't meant for his body to literally be consumed that we could somehow uh, make a, a prayer or a incantation to convert something that is physical like bread into becoming literal flesh of Jesus and so that we can eat Jesus. But the reality is, is that we do feast upon the riches of his word. So the very bread that we're feasting upon right now in this moment is this word of God that, that is really satisfying us, nourishing us. It's giving us knowledge. And remember, Jesus told Satan back there in Matthew chapter number four, as after having been in the wilderness those 40 days and he was hungry and he was faint for lack of food, that Satan came to him and Jesus would say, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the Father. Enough said. This is not dealing with physical bread at this point, but with the spiritual nature of salvation in Christ. And Jesus said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, in other words, receive of his words, unto the satisfaction of their soul being drawn by the Father, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh. And by the way, he indeed did give his flesh upon the crucifixion for the purpose of being the Savior as this was the gift of God. He said, And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And by the way, that's truth. He gave his body to be crucified for the purpose of dying in your place and taking your sin upon him to the grave. He did all of that for us. And then the Jews freaked out. They, they strove, that word strove in verse number 52 means they fought with themselves. Now, earlier in verse number 42, they murmured among themselves, and now they're striving, they're fighting among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus, he picked up on that right off. It's so hilarious that Jesus said, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you'll have no life in you. Jesus at this point, is actually pulling what would be considered a parody off of these guys' fight. So I think there's a measure of comedy that is happening inside of Jesus' heart. He's kind of laughing about these idiots because they 
they're sitting there thinking, how can this rabbi violate the law of God by telling us to do something so defiled as to literally eat his body? I'm not going to eat his body. This is ridiculous. What is he telling me to eat his body for? And drink his blood? I mean, what, what, is, what is the deal with that? We, we're not to, to eat anything that has the blood in it. Leviticus 17, 11 tells us that the life of the flesh is in the blood. We're not to eat anything that even has blood in it, much less drink the blood of it. I mean, Jesus is really kind of, what is the, he's a cult leader. He's, he's, he's a, a witch, a warlock or whatever. And then Jesus just dives right into the fight that they have among themselves. He says, look, except you eat the, the flesh and drink the blood, you have no life in you. He says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. Now, now this thing has flipped completely over because Jesus had taught about the fact that, that, that people are drawn to him by the Father, that, that all that the Father gives me, I shall not lose one, I shall not cast out, but, but raise him up at the last day. Now you, you have this complete 180 by Jesus so as to say, Okay, so, so whoever eats me and drinks my blood has eternal life, and now those are the ones I'm going to raise up. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. <laughs> indeed means of a certainty or, or of truth. And he that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. Wow! I mean, he's taking this so far out. Uh, because of the fight that's happening inside of them, say, how can he tell us to do these things? The reality is, is those of us who have come to faith in Christ know exactly what he's talking about. And it isn't about a literal munching of the flesh of Jesus. And by the way, if it was, the only people who would have hope of salvation would be a people who were there to eat him at that one moment, it would be impossible for anyone else to be saved because once the body of Jesus would be consumed, it would be over. There would be nothing left for anyone else. So that on its face is absurd. But so is the absurdity of some prayer that had been passed down from the first pope or however that worked. It isn't a prayer that you find taught by Jesus it isn't even prayers that are taught in the scriptures, but that you would have this prayer of transubstantiation that would that would convert a piece of bread into a literal flesh of Jesus and convert a, a glass of wine into a literal blood of Jesus. And their thinking is in order to eat his flesh, drink his blood so that he would dwell in them. So it doesn't have anything to do with, with repentance and it doesn't have anything to do with with uh, any kind of contrition or any kind of confession, but really what it has to do if you're going to be saved is, is to eat Jesus and drink him every week to have that fellowship in him. You're just guaranteed if you keep Eucharist. And it's not the case. It's not the teaching. And Jesus went on to say, As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eats me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. The bread he's talking about is his word. And the word of God that we feast upon through the Holy Spirit draws us by the Father unto the Son. And in our conversion, 
unto salvation, we are secured by the Son through His Word forever. And we have that eternal satisfaction that exists every time we open the Word of God. We are fed by His bread. We are nourished by His, His water because this is the Word of God. And it's the truest spiritual sense of what Jesus was saying to them. And they had, they, they had totally lost the concept because they, could, they were only focused on the literal instead of the spiritual. Well, something to consider today because in John 6 and 60, we're going to move down about those who walk away from Jesus tomorrow and we're going to see uh, the challenge of Jesus to his disciples in their reply and see if it fits for us today. Father, we thank you and praise you, asking your blessing upon us as we receive from the bread of life today, that we may be able to know you, the only true God, and to know your Son, in whom you have sent, to be able to have received and grown from the manna this day, and rejoice in the, the hope and blessing of our salvation. Thank you, Lord. Bless us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, may God bless you. May God keep you, and may God cause His face to shine upon you and give you strength to be able to make it through the rest of this day and get together with us tomorrow. Till then, take care.